Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And don't you don't you hate it when you have a stomach ache? I don't know about you. I hate getting a stomach ache. It's one of the worst things. You can't eat anything. You're scared to drink anything. And you, you can't go anywhere. You're just laying in bed, laying on the couch. And uh, we're going to read about and learn from a really bad stomach ache this morning. In fact, the title of my message is this, Three Lessons from Herod's Stomach Ache. We're going to see in Acts 12, three lessons from King Herod's stomach ache. And this morning, we find ourselves in the book of Acts for the 36th Sunday morning message over the last year or so. We started last June going verse by verse uh, through the book of Acts. And uh, the last three weeks, our messages have all been from the first 17 verses of Acts 12. And I'd encourage you, as I do almost every Sunday morning, if you're able to, to follow along uh, in God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, physical copy with you, I'd encourage you to jump on one on your phone or your tablet Um, download an app if you need to. I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible this morning, and I'd encourage you to follow along. We'll read some verses aloud together. But as I've said almost, not every Sunday, but at least once or twice a month since I've been here, uh, going on five years now, if there's any power in anything that I preach today, it's not in my opinions, it's not in my philosophies, it's not in my upbringing, it's not in my personality or my sense of humor if it, or lack thereof, if there's any power in anything that I preach today, it, the power is found in the Word of God. And if that's true, then I believe we ought to follow along and see these things for ourselves. The Bible says that the Word of God is quick. That is, it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word is what has the power to change our lives, to change our families, to change our nation, to change our world. And so we seek at liberty to make much of the Word of God, generally speaking, not always, but generally a a more what I would call an expositional uh, style of preaching where we're going systematically through a passage of the Bible and uh, and then seeking to apply that in relevant ways to our lives in 2020. And so the last three weeks, we've looked at the first 17 verses of Acts 12. This morning, we're going to look at the, the the final eight verses. If you were here last Sunday, I think I read like 50 or 60 verses throughout the message. Today we're going to be, uh, we're going to stay in the last eight verses of this chapter and finish it up. It's been a while since I've done any kind of a review or a recap of where we've been in our study. So if, if I can, I'd like to take just about five or six minutes and bring us all up to speed on the context of where we're at in our passage today. The book of Acts. I said at the beginning about a year ago, it's a book of exactly what the name implies. It's a book of action. You read the book of Acts and there is all kinds of action. There are all kinds of things happening. God is at work and the church is growing. It's multiplying. Believers exponentially are coming to Christ. And the book of Acts is a book of action. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. And Acts was written by a medical doctor a man by the name of Luke. And Luke, a medical doctor, writes the book of Acts. 
The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the what, church? We call those the, the what? The Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they cover about 30 years of history. The Gospels cover from about 0 AD to about 30 AD, about 30 years of history there. And they tell the story of the, the works of Jesus Christ while he walked this earth. The book of Acts, so you have the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts, the fifth book, it also covers about 30 years of history. So the Gospels cover the 30 years that Jesus walked on earth. The book of Acts covers about the, uh, uh, approximately, all this is approximate, of course, Jesus, 33 years, I understand that, but approximately the 30 years following his ascension back into heaven. His crucifixion, the book of Acts, as you start it in Acts 1, it picks it up with Jesus having been crucified. He's speaking to his disciples and he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. That is the book of Acts. And so the gospels are Jesus' work here on earth while he walked on earth. Acts is Jesus' continued work through his disciples after he's gone back into heaven. And, and where we find ourselves in Acts 12, we're about 10 years into that 30-year history of Acts. We're about 10 years removed from Christ's crucifixion. And you'll recall Christ was crucified. This small group of scared, nervous, uncertain believers is gathered in the upper room there in Acts 1 and 2. And Jesus has given them his commission, Acts 1-8, ye shall be witnesses to in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. You're going to be witnesses to me. And so he gave them that commission. And basically, the disciples at the beginning for the first several years were preaching mainly to Jews. That, that's in Jerusalem there. Jesus had come. He was, Jesus was a Jew. And, and the disciples, and they were, the gospel was exploding, but mainly among the Jewish people. At Pentecost, not just a short while after Jesus' uh, ascension at Pentecost, Peter preaches, and the Bible says on that one day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Not too long after that, another 2,000 people in one day were added to the church. The church is multiplying and exploding, but mainly to the Jewish people. And I won't take, for the sake of time, I won't go through the, all of it, but in that day, there were Jews, there were Samaritans, and there were Gentiles. The Jews were those that were considered God's people, that, that Abrahamic covenant, um, in the Old Testament, Jesus came and he tore down that partition. Now the gospel is available to all. And, and, and we had the Jews, the Samaritans, they were half Jew, half Gentile. The Jews looked down on them. They're, they were half breeds in their eyes. And there was a racial, cultural, uh, um, societal, religious divide between these people. That's why the parable of the Good Samaritan was such a powerful story that Jesus told. Uh, because Jesus was reconciling everyone with the gospel. So you have the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. Well, Acts 11, a chapter ago, you'll recall for the first time, the gospel begins to spread in amazing ways to the Gentiles. Cornelius, that Roman soldier, we went through all of that. We studied those stories. If you were with us or you were watching online, and, and the gospel begins to explode with the Gentiles. And so that's where we're at, about 10 years Many Jews have come to know Christ as Savior, now many Gentiles, and Acts 12 is a little commercial in between the gospel going to the uttermost parts of the earth 
It takes us back. Where are we in Acts 12? For context, we're in Jerusalem. When are we? We're about a decade after Christ's crucifixion. What is happening in, in, in Acts chapter number 12? What's happening here is, is that God's people are being persecuted. One of the 12 disciples, uh, James, the brother of John, uh, has already been martyred in the beginning of Acts 12 by King Herod Agrippa I. And now Peter is in prison. And then what we've studied, the passage we've studied the last three Sundays from all different angles, the miraculous prison escape of the apostle Peter. Herod is planning the next day, he's on death row. He's planning the next day to bring him out to kill him, to execute him for his faith. And the angel comes and Peter miraculously escapes. And we've looked at three messages. We've looked at um, the message entitled, Be Encouraged, a message entitled, Asleep on Death Row. And then last week, the message, Perspective versus Reality. And so that's where we, we find ourselves here. And Acts is the history of the early church. Interestingly, the rest of the New Testament, as you read from Romans through Jude, the rest of the New Testament are just letters. They are not history books. They are, they're really not covering any more or much more history or, or time period. What they are is letters to people and to churches that we find and that we're introduced to for the most part in the book of Acts. So you read the first five books of the New Testament and you have most of the history of the New Testament. And then the rest of the New Testament is, uh, is, is letters with doctrinal clarifications and encouragement and correction and fixing some things and letters to pastors and letters to individual Christians, letters to churches. And then we get to Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, and that is the things to come. The, those are many prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. But what I would say is we are seeing even today some of the signs of the times of those prophecies yet to be fulfilled there in Revelation. So that's a snapshot of the New Testament. The Gospels, 30 years of Christ walking on earth. Acts, 30 years of Christ working through his disciples, the early church history. The rest of the New Testament, letters to churches, Christians, and individuals that we get introduced to for the most part in the book of Acts. And then Revelation, the things to come, the prophecy. So where we're at here and where we're going to pick up the story, Peter has miraculously escaped a maximum security prison. He has gone out into the street in the middle of the night. He's knocked on the door where all the disciples are gathered praying. You remember the story? Steve, you're sitting there again, just like last Sunday. Always got in that, that front row seat there. And, and we saw last week uh, where, where Peter gets to the door. He knocks. He says, let me in. It's Peter. And Rhoda comes and hears his voice. Remember what happened? And she says, that is Peter. She doesn't open the door. We've got this escaped death row inmate out there on the, trying to get into a safe house. She runs back in, tells the disciples, it's Peter. They say, you're crazy. They're literally praying for Peter. God answers prayer and they don't believe it. That encourages me. Because my faith is that way sometimes. God, I believe you can do it. God, what are you doing? I believe you're working. How are you working? And, and, and they come back in and they say, you're crazy. It's not Peter. He's going to be put to death tomorrow. There's no way it's Peter. And then she keeps telling them, it's Peter. It's Peter. They said, it's probably Peter's guardian angel. Eventually, somebody just, maybe just to shut her up, decides to go check. They open the door and they, they celebrate. It's Peter! And Peter is in, in, the, in verse, the verse right before we're going to pick it up. 
Peter is like, would you guys be quiet? I just got out of jail. I don't want to go back. I'd like to keep my head on my body for a few more days. Be quiet. And that's where we find ourselves. We're going to pick it up now and read the last eight verses of Acts 12, beginning in verse number 18. So he's just told them to be quiet. And he's told them how God delivered him. And then he gets out of there. He says, hey, guys, I'm going somewhere where they can't find me. Tell everybody else in the church of Jerusalem, God is amazing. God delivered me. Let's keep preaching Jesus. That's, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what happened in verse 17. Verse 18. Now let's pick it up. Acts 12, verse 18. If you're with me there, let's follow along. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. They woke up and there was a buzz. Hey, did you hear? Did I hear what? Peter. What about him? Yeah, I heard about Peter. He's, he's getting killed today. Just like they just killed James. And everybody was excited about James being killed. So Herod, the politician that he was, does whatever's good for his poll numbers. So he's going to kill Peter to boost up his poll numbers. Yeah, I heard about it. No, no, no. We can't find him. Well, he's in his cell. That's where you find him. No, no. I'm telling you, we can't find Peter. No, if you go in there, we even chained him to two soldiers. Normally, we only chain him to one. We chained him to two soldiers. So just look for those two soldiers. They have chains on their arms and their feet. When you go to the end of that chain, you're going to find Peter. No, we found those soldiers. We found the chains. There is no Peter. What do you mean there's no Peter? But there were two guards at the door. Are those two guards still there? Yeah, those two guards are still there. They didn't open the door. They don't know what happened. There was the, the, the main gate that wasn't supposed to be open. And it, somehow it automatically, we can't find Peter. There was no small stir. Now you have to understand, why is this a big deal? If your industry was prison guarding in that day, if you messed up, it cost you your life. If you were guarding a death row inmate, whatever the prison guard was, if they on their watch, if the prisoner escaped, whatever the penalty for that prisoner was, that was the penalty for the prison guard. So if, 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 that, if the penalty was going to be five years in prison and you let him escape, you're now doing five years. Well, here's the problem. The penalty for Peter was death. So if these guys don't find Peter, this is their last day on earth. There's no small stir. Verse number 19. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers. A little interrogation. He's talking to them. He, he gets an interview, maybe a little bit of, of he might have beaten them. Um, and he, he asked the guards, where are they at? When he couldn't find Peter, notice this in verse number 19, he commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And he goes about 65 miles north up to the beautiful sea, seaside city of Caesarea. And maybe because of embarrassment, because Peter got out on his watch, we don't know. Verse 20, so he was there, he's staying in Caesarea and then the story continues. This may have been a few weeks later. This may have been a few months later. But the story continues. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. So here's the picture. Tyre and Sidon, another um, group of people, another two cities. Their food supply came, was under the control of King Herod. We don't know what it was, but they had done something that made Herod mad. And so he was threatening to withhold. You've seen in, 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 in politics with our governor, with the president, you know, if you don't do what I want, we're threatening to withhold funds and federal funds and local funds and these things. 
well, that's not a new thing. You don't do what I want. I'm gonna, I might withhold some things. And Herod, their food supply is there and they're in trouble. They're like, hey, if we don't get Herod back on our side, we're not having dinner. So they had made probably with some financial gain, maybe some bribes, we don't know exactly, but they had made a friend of one of Herod's cabinet members, a Blastus. And they got him on his side and said, can you help us out? We need some food. Would you get Herod on our side? They needed, they desired peace because they got food from Herod. Verse 21, and upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. The, the great historian Josephus that gives us much history of events around Bible times, Josephus tells the story of this day that Herod, it says when he was greatly arrayed, literally his robe was made of strands of pure silver. They had woven strands of silver, and when he went, it, it, according to Josephus, it would shine in the sun, almost like he was glowing and looked like a, a deity to them. And he began to speak, and he made an oration he is, he is at the height of power. Verse number 22. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. Whether they really believed that or whether that was just politically expedient, we don't know. But their response to Herod was, You're no mere mortal. You're like a God. You look like a God. You sound like a God. Your voice, you are so amazing. And they began to worship him. By the way, that's not the first time that's happened. You remember a chapter ago when Peter walked into Cornelius' house? What did they do? They began to bow down and worship Peter. And what did Peter say? Get up. I'm a man of like passions like you. I'm no different than you. Don't worship me. And by the way, that I believe that there is God-ordained authorities and we should have respect, but there is no man that is worthy of our worship. There is no man, whether it's a pastor or a politician or whatever it might be, we are men of like passions. Now, there, are, there is, I believe, spiritual leadership and, and roles, biblical roles of spiritual authority that God gives uh, to those in spiritual leadership. And there are also responsibilities that go along with that. But he, they, it was the voice of a God. Now, notice what his response was in verse 23. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Why, church? Because he what, church? He gave not God the... He gave not God the what? And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. He was eaten of worms. Josephus described this event in great detail. He said a severe pain arose in his belly. There's Herod's stomach ache, which became so violent that he was carried into his palace where five days later he died. That's a bad way to go out. Five days of a fatal stomach ache. Some, some suggest maybe it was a tapeworm and there was some sort of a cyst that exploded inside of him. Whatever it was, he was on top of the world. They began to worship him. And the Bible says he gave not God the glory. He gave not God the glory. It's an interesting word in verse 23. It says immediately the angel of the Lord. Do you see that in verse 23? Immediately the angel of the Lord, what? Smote him. If you want to look back in verse 7, and behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, speaking of Peter, and he smote Peter on the side. Same word. An angel or a messenger of the Lord smote, struck Peter. An angel, a messenger of the Lord smote or struck Herod. And, and, and we see here that 
this angel smote him both times. One, one time it was to deliver Peter. One time it was to judge Herod. It's a reminder to us that God is a God of mercy and of justice. He's a God of peace and of power. He's a God of help and of hurt. And, and we see as, 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 as Herod receives the worship, we cannot control how people treat us, but we can control our response to them. We cannot control how people treat us, but we can control our response to them. Peter was worshipped just like Herod was, but Peter rejected that. Herod accepted that. And God, uh, God dealt with them accordingly. Now finish it up, verse 24, and then I'll give you uh, three brief, but I believe powerful thoughts from applications from this passage. Verse 24, the last two verses. Would you read verse 24 aloud? Ready? Begin. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Would you read that verse again aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. What happened there? Uh, if you'll recall, again, I'm trying not to get too far in the weeds with the story. But for those of us that were here at the end of chapter 11 study, Paul and Barnabas had left the church at Antioch to come down to Jerusalem with a special offering. The church of Jerusalem was struggling. This new church of Gentile believers took up a sacrificial offering and they sent it with Paul and Barnabas to go minister to the church of Jerusalem. A great picture when God gives us resources and we can help someone else, we ought to do that. Withhold not, them, uh, withhold not good to them who it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. If you, can, if you have the power to help someone, help them. And, and so this story shows us the end of verse 12. Paul and Barnabas have made their way back to Antioch, their journey to Jerusalem, which was a, a couple hundred mile journey. Their journey to Jerusalem was done and they are back. So now I want to give you three brief but powerfully important lessons from Herod's fatal stomach ache. Number one, number one, here's the three applications for this Sunday. Number one, God is still in control. I, I feel like over the last four Sundays in this passage, this chapter, I kind of sound like a broken record. But I didn't choose to have us in Acts 12 in July of 2020, now August 2020. God did. We started this series a year ago. And I think it's a message that all of us need to be reminded of in the day and age in which we live and the events that are surrounding us. Church family, those that are watching online, those that might tune into our archive podcast later on, God is still in control. God has not fallen asleep. God, we see here, God is still in control. When James died at the hands of Herod as a martyr at the beginning of verse number 12, church family, God was still in control. We like to think that when everything goes our way, God is in control. God was in control when James gave his life for the cause of Christ. When Peter escaped prison, God was still in control. When Herod was lauded as a deity, God was still in control. God was not being worshipped, but Herod was. But that did not take away any of the power or providence of God. When Herod died of a tapeworm or a ruptured cyst or whatever that malady was, God was still in control. And on this Sunday morning, the first Sunday of August, I have no idea what August is going to hold. July held some things that I didn't expect. And I don't know what September is going to look like. And I don't know where October is going. And I don't know what 2021 is going to look like. But here's what I do know is that God is still in control. 
Let's not forget that church. God's still in control. May I remind you of Paul's words in Colossians where he said, for by him, Colossians 1, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth and visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Christian, you and I can go to sleep tonight knowing that everything that is and was and is to come was created by our omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God and he is still in control. You would be helped to read all of Colossians this week, as would I. I'm reminded of the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. I am strengthened this morning by the words of King David in 1 Chronicles 29, when David, wherefore it says, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and thine all thine and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore our God we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. The God that David served is the same God that we serve. And he said, thine is the power and the might and the majesty and the victory. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not ignorant. I, I don't, I, I'm not ignorant of what's going on in our world. I'm not ignorant of the fear. I'm not ignorant of the death. I'm not ignorant of the reality. I'm not ignorant of the financial problems. I'm not ignorant of the 40-some million Americans who have been on unemployment. I'm not ignorant of the battle with, within politics and, and within local governments and state governments and our federal government. I'm not ignorant of any of those things. And by the way, I read articles about them. And guess what? Like you, I have opinions on all of that. But may I say, far more important than any of that is the fact that we serve a God that is still in control. May we be reminded of that. He's still in control. Again, you look at Acts 12. Acts 12 didn't start too good for the church. James is dying and Peter's incarcerated. James got beheaded. By the way, the church in Jerusalem was facing a whole lot worse prospects for worshiping God than you and I were. None of us went to talk to some believers last night and said, hey, I don't know when I'll see you next, but I'll see you later. I got to get out of here. I'm about to die. They're about to kill me. None of us had that experience last night. But God... God was still in control. When James died, he was still in control. When Peter was incarcerated, he was still in control. God, child of God, rests in the power and in the providence and in the sovereignty of our great God. Again, I'm not talking about ignorance. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about trust. Yes, we should know what's happening and vote accordingly and, and stand for truth. and do. Yes, all of that's true. But... In the midst of all of that, if the one you vote for doesn't get in, God is still in control. If the governor makes a proclamation that, that, that hurts your business or your family or our church or my family, God is still in control. 
if, if Orange County does something and, and it, it affects what the way we and our comfort levels and what we want to do, God is still in control. Number two, God is in control. Number two, I want you to see from this passage, three lessons from Herod's stomachache. Number one, God is still in control. Number two, God's word is not bound. God's word is not bound. I love the first word of verse 24. It's a little conjunction. I think that's the right word. We've been out of school for like six months. That's, where's my English teacher? That's a conjunction, right? The word but, B-U-T, that's, that's a conjunction. Is that right? No? Nobody knows English? Am I right? Okay, all right. I think that's right. I love that right there, that word. What does that mean? There is a contrast. Things were bad, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod was in control, but the word of God grew and multiplied. James died, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Peter's on the run, but the word of God grew and multiplied. I love the reminder from this passage that God's word is not bound. God's word is not bound by wicked men. It never has been and it never will be. I haven't studied the veracity of this story, but but I saw several people linking and quoting and saying that up in Portland at one of the protests, and if this is not true, I apologize. I did see a video that looked like it was recent. I didn't, again, I didn't study, but but that showed a group of protesters burning Bibles up in, in Portland sometime this week. And by the way, may I say, that's not the first time that wicked men and wicked women have tried to burn the Bible and to quiet the word of God. The word of God is not bound by wicked men. Whether that story is true or not, there are definitely some people in our country and in our world that do not want the word of God to go forth. God's word is not bound by any one of them. Herod was sitting tall, wearing his silver robe, not just silver colored, literally silver, on his throne. But the word of God grew and multiplied. That contrast, God's word is not bound by wicked men. It never has been, it never will be. God's word is not bound by wild circumstances. Over the last six months, I had no idea when we entered into January of 2020 what this year would look like in my family and in our church ministry. Over the last six months, our church has met on Facebook Live. We've met on YouTube. We've met on Vimeo. We've been on Zoom. We've had pre-recorded services on Facebook Premiere. We've had drive-in services where you turned, tuned in and listened on your radio dial. We've met outdoors. We've met indoors. We've met under our beach umbrellas, and we've met in the blazing hot sun, wondering how many more points do I have until we're done. Almost there. We've met in all of these different ways. We've watched video-based curriculum in small groups, and we'll be back together doing that again on Wednesday night. We've spent hours praying together in person and online. We've had prayer meetings. We've spent hours singing together in person and online. We've taught kids under the parking lot and behind a handball court. It seems like the only constant over the last six months has been that there is change. It's something different. But may I tell you the one constant, the one thing that has not changed through all of these crazy times and all of those different meeting places is that we have sought to lift up Christ to preach his word. And guess what we've seen in the midst of, in the face of maybe some wicked men and some wild circumstances? We've seen God's word go forth. We've seen people get saved. We've seen scores and scores of visitors, hundreds of visitors over the last couple of months, first time guests come to our church. We've seen people follow the Lord and believers' baptism. We've seen uh, hundreds of kids come to a vacation Bible school outdoor, and at least a dozen of them make a profession of faith 
placing their faith and trust in Christ alone. We've seen families added to the church. We saw Diego get baptized this morning. A couple got baptized last week. A couple more the week before. We've seen people reaching out and, and, and in record numbers explo exploding any other record saying, we want our children to be a part of Newport Christian School in this coming school year. We, we saw what they had where they were before. They need something different. May I tell you, I didn't plan all of that, and I have no idea what the next six months is going to hold. It might be some challenges and some difficulties, but can I tell you what I've seen over the last six months is that God's Word is not bound by any of those man-made restrictions. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. Church family, Live in victory. Don't live in defeat. I talked about the Eeyore Christian last week. Again, I feel kind of like a little bit of a broken record, but I'm just trying to preach what I'm seeing in the passage here. And, and we have seen God work in great ways. God's word is not bound by a pandemic. God's word is not bound by the CDC or by a governor or by a health department. In Acts 12, God's word was not bound by Herod or by heartbreak or by opposition or by persecution. I love that it says the word of God grew and multiplied. It wasn't just slow growth. It was exponential growth. What did Herod do to the family of God? He subtracted James. He was going to try to subtract Peter. God saw Herod subtracted. You know what I do when, when evil men subtract? I multiply. Herod subtracted. I'm going to addition, grow, and multiply the word of God. The gospel multiplies in the soil of hardship and opposition. That's what we see in this passage. It's what we see all in the book of Acts. May I say that statement again? The gospel multiplies in the soil of hardship and opposition. God is still in control. God's word is not bound by wicked men or wild circumstances. And lastly, those that are getting their suntan, you only have about five minutes left, I think. Let's see if I can stay there. Number three, what do we see in this passage? God's work will move forward. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Notice verse 1 of chapter 13. Remember when it was written, there were no chapter divisions. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been brought up with the Herod the Tetrarch. By the way, that's the same family as Herod Agrippa. So a man that was brought up in this wicked family has been saved. And Saul, what's about to happen? What are we going to jump into next Sunday morning in our study? We're going to jump into the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. Who wrote more books of the Bible than any other uh, human? Who penned more books of the Bible than any other human? Talk to me. Paul, Apostle Paul, right? Saul who became Paul who is maybe, according to human metrics, the most mightily used man that walked this earth aside from Jesus Christ, you probably could say Paul. And if it's not Paul, he's definitely up there in the Hall of Fame, which with God, that doesn't exist. We're not about lauding men. But, but if, we were gonna, if we were to give our metrics, that's Paul, right? Guess what? Up to this point, Paul has basically done nothing. He's taught at the church in Antioch for about a year. Paul hasn't done much of anything. You know when the work of God began to move forward and God begins to use Paul in amazing ways? Right here. In the midst of government opposition. In the midst of martyrdom. In the midst of heartache. In the midst of heartbreak. What we're going to see is, starting in chapter 13, pretty much the rest of the book 
is going to cover the Apostle Paul's ministry. We're, we're only going to hear from Peter really one more time in the whole book. Most of the first half of Acts, Peter's been kind of a highlighted character. Saul's been really kind of a background character. The rest of the book of Acts is going to be largely about Paul and his ministry. And you know when it happens? It happens right here in a time when the church was scared, when the church was uncertain, when the future looked bleak. God's work will move forward. I hear pastors, and, and probably you don't, I'm in some, in some social media pastors groups and things with thousands of pastors of, of different ministry workers across the country, and, and I follow a good number of, of pastors from different, uh, um, different areas of the country and things. But I hear some pastors in their, in their preaching and in their social media verbiage opining about how this is the end of God's work in our country as if God's work was only strong enough to thrive when things were easy and governments were friendly. I saw one preacher this past week say that if, as we vote in this election in November, he said we are voting for the spiritual soul. And don't say amen to this because I don't agree with this and you might. He said we are voting uh, for the spiritual soul of our country in November and by the way, may I just interject here before I go on to that for a minute? I've heard something, I, I'm, I'm not that old, but every election I can remember, I've heard some preaching or, or something about how this is the pivotal election that determines the future of our nation and if our kids have a free America and if our church can continue to exist. And I've heard that in just about every, by the way, I'm not saying this election isn't important. I'm not saying who our leader is isn't important. I'm not saying it doesn't affect the church. What I am saying is I, I don't care who you're planning to vote for in November, whether it's Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or Kanye West. I don't care which one it is. Isn't it a strange world in, in which Kanye West is the mo most outspoken Christian of all of the presidential candidates? But no matter who you're voting for, may I say, church, they are not powerful enough to determine the spiritual soul of our country. Donald Trump does not dictate the spiritual soul of this nation. Joe Biden does not dictate the spiritual soul of this nation. They are not that important or powerful. Yes, I know the verse that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Yes, I believe as Christians we should vote for, for candidates and platforms and bills that most closely align to biblical values. Yes, I understand all of those principles, but what I'm saying is the spiritual temperature of this nation is not dictated from Washington, D.C. It is dictated by the passion and fervency of every American believer. Let's stop looking to the White House for the things that God said should come from the church house. Hey, I would, I would say if you were Peter and James, that once James got killed by Herod and Peter got put into prison to be executed, if you were the rest of the disciples over there at John Mark's mom's house praying, I would say that you would say, we got to get Herod out of office. If we don't get Herod out of office, this is the end of the church. May I say that was nowhere close to the end of the church. The church was just beginning. It didn't matter who was or wasn't in office. God had a plan for Herod, and God's word grew and multiplied no matter who was in office. Church family, Christians, stop getting distracted about the things that are temporal to the things that are eternal. Look to the invisible, not the visible. God's work will move forward. God's work has moved forward through Republicans. God's work has moved forward through Democrats. God's work has moved forward through independence. And by the way, I've been to some countries where there is literal persecution and God's work, it thrives in places where, the, where, where true persecution comes to the church. God's work will move forward. Speaking of governmental authorities, Romans 13 still says, 
There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Daniel told us that he setteth up kings and removeth kings. Our hope is not found in an election or in a vaccine or in a politician or in our financial portfolio. Our hope and joy and purpose is found in one person, Jesus Christ. God's work will move forward. Again, the disciples were living in a far more dangerous and discouraging time than you or I could ever imagine. Yet the gospel flourished. The word of God grew and multiplied. The work of God expanded in unprecedented ways. The believers, they lost some of their personal comforts, but the work of God didn't suffer. Why? Because because they didn't waste their time and energy worrying about the things they couldn't control. What did the believers do when persecution came? They had a singular, unparalleled commitment to knowing Christ and making him known. Peter gets out of jail. What does he do? He goes and preaches Christ some more. The disciples get out of jail. What do they do? They go and preach Christ some more. They preached him wherever they could and they accepted whatever consequences came from that. That, my friends, more than a new governor in California or, or a re-election of a president or a new president or wherever you stand on that, my friends, what America needs is a group of believers who will seek to know Christ and make him known in every way they possibly can. Who will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not focused on our own gain and our own comfort. Three great lessons for us. From this story, from Herod's stomachache, number one, church family, God is still in control. Number two, God's word is not bound by wicked men or wild circumstances. Number three, God's work will move forward. If we'll be believers that will not get distracted and will keep our focus on knowing Christ and making him known. In 1964, I close with this story. Communist rebels in Zaire began arresting and executing anyone they considered to be enemies of the revolution. One of their victims was a pastor, Pastor Zebediah. The day after his arrest was a big holiday, and as part of that celebration, great crowds had gathered in the town square in front of the monument to Lumumba, the spiritual leader of that revolution. There were to be speeches by dignitaries, and a large number of prisoners were to be executed in front of that monument. Pastor Zebediah was one of those. The prisoners were taken from their cells and herded into a truck to be taken to the plaza, but for some mysterious reason, the truck wouldn't start. The prisoners were finally unloaded, and they were told to push the truck to get it started. And when they finally arrived to the, to the monument, the angry police commissioners, uh, I'm sorry, to the angry police commissioner's office, that furious official wanted no further delay, so he lined up the prisoners. He said, one, two, one, two, one, two, all the way down. He said, once. Get in line, marches double time to the monument. You twos, get back in the bus. We're already late. We can't, we won't have time for all this. You get back in the bus and go to the prison. Back to the prison. As they traveled back to the prison, they got there. They could hear the gunshots as everyone that had had the number one had been executed there. As they heard that, they, they wondered what the future held for them. They were, still, uh, they were still in prison and thought that their execution was coming not too far away. As they waited there, Pastor Zebediah shared with them his hope of heaven and eternal life. And we're told that eight people found the Lord that day in Zaire. As soon as he had finished sharing the word to them, an excited messenger came panting to the door with an order. The pastor had been arrested by mistake. They were to release him at once. The true story goes on. He waved goodbye to the remaining prisoners, shared with them the truth of the gospel, and returned to his home next to the church, where he discovered that a crowd of believers had gathered in the house of God and were on their knees praying earnestly for his release. It was a reminder to them that the God of Peter in Acts 12 
still live. But it was also a reminder that even in the face of death, when he thought that was his final day, his priority was to preach the gospel. Church family, I don't love everything that's happened in our nation. I wish this virus would disappear. I wish every person's job would be restored. I wish the comfort and ease that I had before, humanly speaking, was back. That's my personal desire. But may I remind every one of us what we see in Acts 12. God is still in control. His word is not bound. And his work will go forward. No matter where we find ourselves, may our priority be to please and to preach Christ. At the beginning of the chapter, Herod seemed to be in control, didn't he? And the church was losing the battle, wasn't it? At the end of the chapter, God is in control as he was at the beginning. And the church is multiplying and moving forward. John Piper summarized this chapter well when he said, if we stay with Jesus, we win. If we oppose him, we lose. That is the story of Acts 12. If we stay with Jesus, we win. If we oppose him, we lose. Now, sometimes winning to the disciples doesn't look like what we think winning looks like in America. Sometimes it looks like pain and confusion and uncertainty. But if we keep our eyes focused on Christ, we know that victory is his. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.